Thanks for listening to the Northwest Yearly Meeting Podcast. We hope that you find the conversations to be helpful and enlightening as you get to hear from those involved in the Evangelical Friends Movement. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss when a new episode comes out. Now, enjoy the episode. As you can see, uh, unfortunately, our my co-host Jacob is not going to be able to join us this uh, this afternoon. Uh, we we've the last two episodes we've both been kind of traveling and busy, and um, unfortunately, into his schedule, he he had to bow out today. But um, okay, I just want, I just want to say uh, welcome to the Northwest Yearly Meeting Podcast, where we're where we seek to have helpful and enlightening conversations and hear from those who are. Uh, in the evangelical friends movement, both here in the Northwest and around the world. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be kind of focusing around the world a bit on this, uh, today's, uh, podcast where we're going to be hearing from the Howells, David and, uh, Trish, yeah. Trisha, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, welcome to the podcast. Um, uh, I've, I've never met you before, so maybe, um, and I'm pretty sure that there's probably those who are listening who don't know you very well. Yeah. Don't know you personally. So maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and how you're connected to the friends and kind of about your ministry. Okay. Uh, I grew up down in Southern Oregon in Talent Friends Church, attended Talent Friends Church as a kid, as a teenager, uh, and then came back as youth pastor at Talent Friends Church, became pastor at Talent Friends Church, uh, went to Barclay College, spent some time out in Eastern region, but our home and our community has always been uh, the Northwest uh, serving at Talent Friends Church. And then uh, that that's me. Who you? I grew up in Walnut Creek Friends Church in California. And then when I was 13, moved up and joined Medford Friends Church. So been a part of Northwest again, like Dave, for a long time. So, and we... <laughs> it's very interesting how we got involved in EFM because uh, with Evangelical Friends Mission is I was pastoring at Talent Friends Church and sat on, at that point in time, the mission board uh, for the yearly meeting. And mm. we came up the Saturday before um, yearly meeting began for mission board meetings. And then we decided where we were going to attend church on Sunday morning. And it was all about the free pancakes being offered at Sherwood Friends Church. <laughs> <laughs> it's always the free food. Always exactly. The free food. Fit the budget. <laughs> so we went for the free food and Kathy Perry was sharing there about Ireland and just our hearts broke at that point in time. And we knew that that was for us to be a part of the, the ministry in Ireland uh, were officially approved in autumn of 2004 resigned at Talent uh, in January of 2005 and began the process of preparation, fundraising, uh, prayer support, team Mm -hmm. support, and actually arrived on the field in June of 2008. And so we have been there a little over 15 and a half years now. Wow. Wait, that's a, that's a long time. Yeah. (laughs) I I mean, like, like as a pastor, I like you, you hear people who they like, you know, they go do ministry for a season. Right. Right. Or, you know, and, but like 15, 15 years is a, is nothing to to laugh about. I know, I know lots of pastors who don't even make it that who get burnt out way before then. Um, Yeah. 
No, it's it's definitely we went over there originally because we had funding for two years. And so we okay. went on the field for two years and then God kept providing. And so they said, ah, stay another year and stay. And so we ended up then came back on deputation and then we've been going back. And every time we prepare, when we come back on deputation or even as we're preparing for deputation is Lord, are we, is this season of our lives done? And, and every time it's like, nope, we're not done there yet. Uh, there's still more to do, and and God's heart and God's desire for the people of Ireland is still burning deep inside, and and so we're excited. We'll be here on deputation for the next six months ish, uh, mm -hmm. and then we'll be heading back in summer, and we'll start our next term. And excited about the opportunities that God has in store. So, could you tell the listeners mm -hmm. what it's been like to be just like an evangelical friends missionary? in Ireland, especially mm -hmm. since I think there's for like a lot of people who there would be like, wait, I thought that Ireland's like, you know, a Christian country and haven't yeah. they already heard? And yeah, uh -huh. I would God want to send you to there when there's like all these other people groups who haven't heard like, right, yes. right. um, and then, and just like, what's like, what's it like being in a, in a mission field in a context that, that, you know, it might not feel as, you know, different or, but it's definitely still a mission field. So, yeah. so what's, so what's that like? Yeah. Ireland is very much a, a post-Christian society. Uh, they were once the land of saints and scholars and the land of St. Patrick. Uh, many people, we still talk about how the Irish saved civilization back in the day. There was a book that went around about how the, the monks helped write a lot of the Bible down and help translate mm -hmm. and hold that. And so when the rest of the literature was being lost, they had these records. There is very much a strong tradition of faith in Ireland. However, over the last 50, 60 years, uh, especially the last 20, 30 years, that tradition is just that. It's something they know about. That's something from the history books, something mm -hmm. that they realized was there at one point in time, but it's no longer relevant. It no longer matters. It doesn't impact us. Uh, the majority of the Irish people no longer attend mass. They no longer attend any church. Uh, the Irish tend to see church as a place that isn't welcoming. They've had a lot hmm. of struggles, a lot of um, things that have happened in the church that haven't been very good, uh, a lot of damaging things. And so people equate Jesus with the damage of the church. Mm. And so over the last, especially 20 years, they have gone so far away uh, that the average, the fastest growing population is the unchurched, the non-church want nothing mm. to do with God, Jesus, faith. And so really our main goal is when you have such a hurting people group whose only basis of faith has let them down and, and mm -hmm. really destroyed their faith. We have come alongside in a way to help them process their faith, to critically think through these areas that maybe at one point in time held sway, but they don't understand how it makes sense in today's culture. And mm -hmm. a lot of what we have done is just walking alongside people 
spending time with people, allowing them to see faith in action, not perfect faith by any stretch of the imagination, but to see faith in a real life, um, how you interact with people, how you deal with anger, how you deal with hurt, how you deal with disappointment. And as they are watching that, and as we're having these discussions, it allows them to process that and ask questions to help them process through, can faith be relevant today when everything I've seen from the past me says it can't? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really resonated with what you said about like post-Christian culture and people yeah. responding to the like maybe disappointment or the hurt mm -hmm. from like the church, like, oh, yeah. a, like I'm, I'm sure some of the, like the Catholic sexual abuse scandals mm -hmm. and like those things that, I mean, that are relevant both here at home yeah. Yeah. in, in the Northwest and, and, you know, and all over the place, like that, that these have been real scandals that have been mm -hmm. really hurtful for people. And, yeah. and like, cause I find myself ministering in also a, kind of a post Christian mm -hmm. sort of environment i i find that people aren't so much against faith per mm -hmm. se that they're not any less spiritual per se mm -hmm. i mean there's always those people who are like you know ardent atheists but i right, think that right. what i've noticed is that people are still interested in spirituality mm -hmm. um as like as i and i and i see this evidence by things like i'm walking through the grocery store and i see like tarot cards and yeah, yeah. like weird like stuff like that that i'm like okay so it's still like i mean which is distinctly not christian right right but definitely still people are interested in like spiritual things and yeah. that, or like if you talk to people like i have in like in a in a coffee shop or in a bar they're gonna be like hey like, like do you believe in god and they're like most people will say yes mm -hmm. and they want to have you know they want to be spiritual but not religious yeah but, and and so, so I do still see that there's like a hunger for spirituality, but maybe, um, but there's been like a disconnect from, you know, the Christian, the Christian heritage, right? Like the, yeah, the, the yeah. those answers don't seem, or the, like there's like, there's a, um, there's a familiarity right on the surface, but people don't know deeply what the Bible teaches, what, yeah, what the gospel's yeah. about. Mm -hmm. And so there's like, I find that there's this challenge of people thinking that they know more than what they do right? and, and responding to things that they have may have personally experienced, yeah. but oftentimes also just like vicariously experienced being like, oh, that thing happened to that person. That makes me feel bad. Mm -hmm. Right. But yet like in what's weird though, is that the critiques are often, at least I find are oddly Christian. Like the, okay. like the, their values are like, are still kind of like Christian yeah. in the sense of like, that they care about love and compassion and, mm -hmm. and they come and got these at like this kind of this weird, like it's divorced from Christianity, but has like their roots still there. So then what are the, I don't know, biggest challenges you faced um, evangelizing and being a missionary in that kind of, context where there's like like th there's that you know i've i've heard post-christian culture described as like there's like pre-christian culture where they never knew what christianity was mm -hmm. then they had like christian culture where like mm -hmm. culture was christianized and now we're kind of in a post-christian culture which is it's a culture that's moving away from christianity and not it's it's 
no own thing, but reacting against Christianity. Like that's it's that's it's like that's its stance. It's it's yeah. culture mm-hmm. being formed in and against Christianity rather than being its own thing. But it's like still kind of it's still using its Christian background to like form itself. So, so what are the challenges you, you face? It's, it's one of those, the biggest challenge has been to represent true Christianity in a fresh way to people who are so skeptical of anything they, Mm -hmm. of, you know, the Irish in general are really they've they've had a rough history of people coming in and colonizing people coming in trying to dominate people coming in and trying to take away their irishness trying to come in and change them mm-hmm. and it's one of these one of the biggest struggles we face is representing the true christ in an irish way mm-hmm. uh, representing what does it mean to be a christian in ireland because it is a culturally it's a whole different world mm-hmm. they speak english sort of they add extra <laughs> letters here and there and they move the order around and add ease to the end of words and stuff like that uh, but it is very much a, a a strong prideful nation that has lost a lot of its identity by people coming in and trying to take that away mm-hmm. and especially american missionaries and american evangelists and your and british evangelists coming in they they have a strong um, reaction to that because they're not american they're not british and so the challenge is how do we come in and listen and learn the culture the people the heart the the way to represent christ Mm -hmm. and then do our level best to speak truth into that uh because they are they are truly post post modern uh, post post christian they the church the amount of times i've heard from people who want nothing to do with christianity or jesus because the only that's not fair the greatest uh representation of christians that they have seen has been the extreme mm. whether it's from america mainstream media and the the way that christianity is represented over here in that very extreme nature yeah. or the people um standing on the street corner and preaching only um eternal damnation and that rather than this idea of what does it mean to be a transformed life and how going about how you present that message. Uh, and, and so I think that has been the biggest challenge is trying to put my American education, my American pastoral theology, pastoral way of doing orthopraxy, all of this and take that and set it aside and say, okay, how can I learn what an Irishman would do in this situation? How can I represent? How can I speak? How can I invest myself in this situation the way that the irish would Mm -hmm. the church is growing in ireland in certain in categories it's the polish christians who come over from the strong catholic faith and it's Mm -hmm. the african uh immigrants who are coming in from uh different places around africa those Uh are the two strongest growing communities the irish are not Mm -hmm. there there is 
very minimal growth in the Irish churches by Irish people. It is the immigrants who are coming in that are growing the church in Ireland, but the Irish are falling farther and farther and farther away from an irrelevant faith. Uh huh. Yeah, that's that's really surprising because, like, I think that that you you brought up a, a couple different couple different things. Like, one is like the history the history of colonization because I I think that even though it's a Western country, it does have a long history of colonization, especially from the British, mm-hmm. and that I could imagine that having to deal with some of those sensitivities mm-hmm. would be. Um, <laughs> Not not to repeat the mistakes of the past, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and I think that there's that vibe where people can misunderstand the difference between evangelism and colonization because there's yeah. they're, they're two different things. Yeah. Yes. But mm-hmm. I I was just listening to um, this kind of came up in my like a so, like a social media feed. It was like right. on YouTube, and it was one of those these shorts videos. And basically, somebody was describing evangelism as being bad this is an ex this is a de deconstructed christian okay. and they basically okay. labeled like all evan evangelism as like colonization mm-hmm. and i thought it was kind of like a an interesting perspective i yes. guess yes. but like you're just like we wouldn't we there's lots of things that we love that we'd want to share with people because you're like yes. oh wow this is like you know if you got if you found you know say that you struggled with losing weight and you found a diet that really worked for you. And you're like, wow, that's awesome. I want to tell people about it. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't call it colonization, right? Right. We'd just be like, oh, this is like, this is really great. This is good news. I want to tell people about it. But in in that case, but like there is that long history of, you know, and especially from a Protestant point of view, Mm -hmm. because it's a, it's a Catholic country. And I know that that like Catholic Protestant Mm -hmm. dynamic is, it's still alive. Do you, do you come up against that as evangelical Protestants? Technically we're not Protestants. Oh, okay. (laughs) How does explain? Because the Quakers have a brilliant reputation in Ireland because of their ability to stand and to treat everybody with that respect, to treat everybody with the love of Jesus to see that of Jesus and everyone. And so even when they had the troubles were taking place, they had a wall that was built up in Belfast that was separating two of these warring communities, except there was a house that was in literally the wall went up to one side of the house um, and then the house and then the wall went on the other and there was doors on either side. And it was mm. called Peace House because it was run by the Quakers where okay. people from Protestants and people from the Catholic community could come together and be in a house of peace. And the Quakers were facilitators of that. Oh, the Quakers wow. had a phenomenal reputation during the potato famine of feeding mm. thousands of people. They had the reputation of when so many people were being put in prison and, and for during the troubles or during mm-hmm. back in the 20s. The Quakers had a brilliant reputation of being able to go in and visit. The guards were allowing Quakers into the prisons to help to mediate and to be that people of peace. Mm. And so when we come over there, we come over there as friends, ministers, as friends, workers. And 
that idea that we are not Catholic and we're not Protestant, we're Quakers, ah. has allowed us to speak truth in that. And the fact that so many, excuse me, so many of friends say your faith is different than anything we've seen before. And it's just us trying to be the people of God as friends, as evangelical friends. What does that mean to live out a daily life as disciples? And that's really what we're representing. So we yeah. are actually in a unique position as Quakers because they have a really strong reputation in Ireland. Mm. Usually when I say evangelical friends mission is who we are linked into, I usually say evangelical and I say it's not scary. It's Bible believing, Bible teaching, really simple and basic. And I say friends and I say maybe you're familiar with friends but they're also Quakers. So usually people start to go, oh, I've heard that before. And mm -hmm. then usually that's a positive opening, like Dave was saying, a rich history in the Republic of Ireland. Now, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I experienced this on a fairly regular basis here in the here in the Northwest is when people hear, you know, your friends or your Quakers, mm -hmm. they think of like, they don't necessarily think of Bible believing Christ centered Quakers as like mm -hmm. a thing they think of, you know, are more the liberal theological mm -hmm. relatives. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or so do Oats you, box. <laughs> or the, the Oats. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I remember the first time I, I, I started being like, yeah, I'm a Quaker. People were like, like, I remember my, I had my mom be like, so do you have to wear one of those funny hats? Exactly. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's Amish also. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes but, like, you have to explain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're not a brand. Um, yeah. And, but like, I have found that when I've talked to people, there's been a lot of like misunderstanding, especially mm -hmm. like I'll have like, you know, people being like, so what do you believe? And like people right. being concerned or right, right. Um, have you had to like face any of like that, that sort of like trying to distance yourself or like distinguish yourself yeah that was part of our goal when we decided we were going to go for 20 years that's what we thought because we had heard it takes a long time for people to get to know you and we thought okay we want to let people get to know us we thought we'd plant a church within a few years no problem work with the other missionaries that were there but immediately after we landed, we were hearing people talk about us in the community and the neighbors were hearing people talk about us and saying, those Americans, are they a cult? Like, what do they believe? Ooh, they're scary, those Americans. And we heard that so often that we thought, all right, we need to really, really step back and let people get to know us as human beings, mm. as friends yeah. of the people of the Irish. So that was one of the culture shock experiences for me. I think one of the things that we have found is the majority of the people don't, they don't know what friends actually believe. They, they really mm -hmm. don't know what a lot of Protestants believe. Um, they okay. would be more familiar with their Catholic heritage, but they would be familiar with some Protestant beliefs, but they really don't understand where Quakers stand. They just know they have this phenomenal, rich, deep history of being the hands and feet of Jesus. Uh -huh. And so we get to come across and and share, well, what what do you believe? Well, let me share you, you know, let me tell mm. you, let me share with you. Let me so we're able to lay that foundation because they don't have a working knowledge of the theology of friends. They uh -huh. come from a basis of the friends are really cool. Mm -hmm. And then we get to say, do you know why they did all that stuff? It's because uh -huh. of the love of Christ flowing in them that they 
poured out into the community. And so it's kind of that great way to use who we are and our identity as evangelical friends to define who we are rather than it being defined. Like here, you're right. A lot of people have that idea of friends is different. It's maybe not the evangelical friend side. It's there is a big distinction where Ireland, they know friends, but they don't know what they believe. Yeah. And I know like, for example, like written yearly meeting mm-hmm. is like very theologically liberal and like mm-hmm. there's kind of like a reputation in that they're, you know, they're like well to do uh super progressive types. So I didn't know if there was like a um kind of like cause because that's what you see on the internet. Yeah. And and I just didn't know if that was like a, a thing that you come up against or is that like, you know, it just is the you and it sounded like you answered the question. There is an Ireland yearly meeting that would fall more under the line of Mm -hmm. kind of with British yearly meeting with that theology. Yeah. But I think at the latest census, there is around eight or 900 friends that fall under that category Uh, in Ireland. So it's a very out of 5 million people. So the majority of people, they know of the old friends meeting houses because there's, they're scattered around. But again, it's the reputation of friends of old not mm-hmm. of current friends. So we have the opportunity to define that yeah. um, for ourselves. Now, do you, so I want to kind of pick up that you said that you, your plan was to like plan a church. Uh-huh. Um, so d- did that, did your mission go according to plan or is it, or is there something, <laughs> something different going on? Totally different. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at that early days, we were working with, with Kathy Perry, who is in Greystones, and we were in Wicklow Town. And so it's about 20 minutes between the two of us. And we thought, we'll find this neutral community, kind of like a gym, that we thought we'll meet in there. And then our friends can come and her friends can come, and we can all start a church and be together. And we quickly found out that her friends didn't want to come to our friends because they knew Kathy, but they didn't know us on the other side. And then the same with our friends, didn't really want to go to meet them because they knew us, but the trust had been built over the years with us, but not with them. So it was just that one step too far Mm -hmm. to try and get the Irish together in one room where we thought we all kind of had a common ground. We found that that wasn't going to be great at that particular moment in time the -hmm. other thing that we found is we had started up a small group uh in our home and within the first few years four or five years we had a small group of about oh 15 people 12 people coming together and Mm -hmm. about four or five families three or four families and we were trying to reach more people in the community coming in and we were talking to some people and they're like you did exactly what we knew you were going to do you're an american you come over Within the first five years, you plant your home church and you grow it. And then nobody comes. It doesn't grow. You lose interest and you go back home. We were an American cliche. We started our own group. And so we started asking our friends at that time. These are some of them are have no desire for faith. Some of them we were meeting regularly with who were discipling them. Others were Christians who were part of other churches. So we had a wide, Mm -hmm. I mean, a a huge swath of people that we were talking to. And because of the abuse that the church represented, they had no desire to be a church. 
Mm. Because in their mind, the church is only a place of pain where what we were doing was kind of going through a place of hope and a place of love and a place of salvation and a place of redemption by meeting with individuals, families, small groups, rather than a more formal situation. And mm -hmm. so we kind of, at that point in time, made that our main emphasis of discipleship, not church planting, for lack of, because what mm -hmm. is a church? A church is a group of people gathered together and, and growing that. And I there was a phrase one time, if you grow the church, you will not always grow disciples. But if you grow disciples, you will always grow the church. Mm -hmm. And I, And I love that mentality of, our emphasis has been disciple making, meeting with individuals where they are in their faith journey mm -hmm. uh, and growing in that. And there was a study put out. It was in the UK, but it had a lot of variants over uh, to Ireland about the way this was just posted, I think, at the end of November um, from the Evangelical Alliance. And it was how are people coming to faith? The number one reason, friendships. Spending time with them. The number two reason, hospitality. Helping people with food and with clothing and with things like that. Uh, online media was a third way. Um, and it was just, it was the majority out of the six things he listed. I think four of them were all very relational, very missional, very walking alongside people waiting to be invited in in a way of loving them very reminiscent of Jesus hanging out with the disciples. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's been the focus and we have seen phenomenal things take place through that. Yeah. That's a kind of an interesting model, kind of a, a shift, right. Of like yeah. go, going from maybe what we would, you know, think of, you know, kind of an institutional like mm -hmm. model, right? Like mm -hmm. where yeah. you like grow an institution yep. um, to like foster this and you, you, you know, church planting. And I know that like, like here in the Northwest, we've been talking about church planting and mm -hmm. um, a lot lately. Um, right. And, and that is like a pretty common, common model, but this sounds like more like kind of like, like house church almost mm -hmm. where it's, it's, it's less about the institution and more about kind of like the one-on-one yeah. disciple making thing. Cause really, cause really I've heard, I've heard of this evangelism really isn't different than discipleship. It's just where you're hitting on the spectrum yeah. that like, like really like you can be discipling somebody who doesn't know Jesus mm -hmm. to get them closer. But like, even when you're saved, you're still being discipled. Yeah. Right. So it's like, mm -hmm. it's just a like evangelism to, you know, I don't know, like to the end goal of discipleship is really like, it's all being evangelized, right? Like all hearing the good news and becoming right. more like Jesus. So it's like right. wherever you're on the spectrum, yeah, that's, that's what church is. Right. Um, yeah. And we've also learned because we know of several, well, quite a few who missionaries, whether they've come from the UK or come from America, who in different parts of are either there's some in Wicklow uh, where we were based some up in Dublin some around and they all tend to plateau out about that 15 to 20 people and it's very interesting to see that there is something about that that okay mm -hmm. why is that 
And, and it's because once it gets past, this is my interpretation, right, wrong, yeah. or indifferent. This is my interpretation. I feel like once a lot of times, once it gets past that certain point, then it becomes a formal church mm -hmm. where up until that point in time, it's a group of people who are gathered together. It's just a group of friends who are there mm -hmm. discussing Bible, just, you know, maybe, maybe praying for one another, talking through their struggles, home church, home communities, yeah. small groups. But I think there's, there's also a sense of less vulnerability when you're in mm -hmm. a bigger group and you share, you're more vulnerable, mm -hmm. smaller group, yeah. you've built up that trust where you're able to share deeper so you can ask the questions that make you look stupid in your mind. But of course, everybody else in the room has the exact same question. So you're just speaking what everybody else is thinking. But if you're in a larger context, you wouldn't have the freedom to do that. So they don't want to put themselves where they're going to be embarrassed and look it, nor would I, nor does anybody. We, none of us like to feel stupid, no. even though it's not, but you know, it comes across that way. So I think that's something that I've seen as well over the years, watching different groups come in and seeing how that plays out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I wonder if, is that like a, a trend that will be here too? Like, is it easy? Yeah. Will it be easier to disciple people, you know, more one-on-one -on -one and in small groups than doing like big churches. And if that's the case, then like, how are we going to organize ourselves? Yeah, exactly. And I think part of it is also removing the stigma of success and failure when it comes to ministry. Mm -hmm. So then how, like, okay, that's, uh, you bring up a good point about like, <laughs> how do you then decide what is successful? I'm the wrong person. I feel like I fail all the time. Like, <laughs> Lord, why are there should be more going on? There should be. But really what it comes down to is we had, I remember we were in the, um, down in California when we were officially approved as missionaries. And somebody asked that very question in this very missional mind frame, how will you know if you're a success? And my answer at that point in time is still as valid today as it was then. If I can lay my head on my pillow and say, Lord, have I done everything you have asked me to do today? Then today was a success. Mm -hmm. And it's that sense of being very intentional of putting ourselves alongside people, but trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to open up those opportunities. And when they do open, which they do every day, am I faithful to walk through them? Whether mm. it's just a a simple word of encouragement, whether it's somebody who I have a relationship with, hey, I know in the past we've talked about X, Y, and Z. How are we doing? How are you? You know, you asked me that question a few weeks ago about this in the Bible or this Bible verse or this. What did you think? Have you been thinking about, you know, so it's that mm -hmm. idea of walking alongside and being very intentional. Lord, what do you want me to do today? And so that's, how you kind of equate success is, am I doing what God has called me to do? And yeah. it, it, again, it's a very intentional being out and being involved. You can't just sit in your house and wait for people to, to knock on the door, obviously. So there is that success of being out and being involved, but it's truly being in tune with what God is doing in people's lives and being very in tune to that still small voice. Mm -hmm. I want you to go over here today. And when you do watch what God does. So you kind of brought up 
I think a really good point about like getting out, right? Mm -hmm. Because I, I, I sense this, and this is me because like I'm a pastor and I like, Mm -hmm. I'm often around just other Christians Mm -hmm. and, um, and there's that struggle of like, how do you, you know, how do you get out? How do you meet new people? How do you, how do you, you know, like start those new relationships Mm -hmm. to like, as a, as a potential as for the gospel, yeah. So like, how, how do you kind of like make connections? Um, cause I know that there's probably lots of people who are like, I would love to, you know, tell people about Jesus, but I'm just only surrounded by my Christian friends and I don't know like how to make new connections. Yeah. Um, so what do you do? Find something that you're passionate about, find a hobby, find something and then find a community group that is based around that hobby that you can join. Simplest thing. If you're if you enjoy photography, join a photography club. Mm-hmm. If you and be not one that's based, not the church-based photography clubs aren't good, but find <laughs> a, you know, go to the library and look for photography clubs, look for different things. I have found that. One of when we first got to Ireland, one of the things that I did is I created a routine around the same time. So I had certain shops and certain places that I went, and I tried to make sure that I went around the same time. So you tend to see the same sort of people. Mm-hmm. And so that way, it's just a you get to start those conversations. That initial, you might only say, Hi, how are you? And then you start getting to see them. I think the main thing is don't belittle the the simple things that you do. Mm-hmm. The going in, I I am a big coffee drinker. Love coffee. I have filled up more coffee cards than I probably should in my lifetime, <laughs> just because I find I go and I sit in the coffee shop. And I'll drink my coffee and I'll have my notebook out. I try not to be too engaged because you don't want to look like you're un- unapproachable, but yeah. just spend time in the community. I think that's oftentimes we think we've got to start big, going for the same walks around the same time, find a hobby, find something that you're interested in and join a community group that is based around that. And then don't be don't be shocked by the things that you hear. <laughs> don't be shocked by the things that you're going to be exposed to, because if we truly want to see people come to an understanding of who Jesus is and the transformative power, you're going to have to put yourself alongside those who aren't coming to the church and they may be a little rougher. I think for me, a couple of years ago, we had to move. It wasn't by choice, wasn't pleasant, but we took some of our stuff into a local charity shop, which is a thrift shop. Mm-hmm. And the woman there was just like really frazzled with these items. And I was asking, could I please have the box back if that wasn't too inconvenient? And like, you could tell that she was just like, ah. And so I said, are you all right? And she goes, I don't have enough staff after COVID. I went from, I think, 30 something people to four. That's all she had for the week. And she's wow. like, I'm just uh, like, I'm going. So I was like, okay. So we moved and I went back and I was like, could you use a hand? I came and you seemed like you had a lot going on. And she's like, absolutely. So I started signing up and I was there once a week. And not only was it a great thing to do, it was also in the community. She was Mm -hmm. part of the community. She knew lots of people within the community. 
And then we would have these great discussions after the door was locked, <laughs> like customers yeah. are gone. Yeah. So it was really just an organic way of going, okay, I see that you have a need. Can we do something to help? Can we walk beside you? Because that's our goal is to walk beside, not having to be the ones that are leading or in charge. It's just how can we make your life easier or better? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, a friend of ours has a slogan. He's a businessman and he always starts, he always has it. Start simple, start small. Yeah. The main thing is just start. It doesn't have to be massive. And I think that's the big thing. When we first moved to Ireland, I probably cleaned our house more that first probably few months than I ever have before because I was out doing things. And then a lot of times you can only go so far and then you're coming back. It's like, what do I do with my time? You yeah. Know? And so there was studying, there's praying and this and, you know, a lot of hoovering, but it's <laughs> start simple, start small, but start today. Find something yeah. you're passionate about and be involved in your community and see what God does. And then the thing that covers all of this is start with prayer. Mm -hmm. Lord, where do you want me today? And then see what happens. It's very cool to see how God works in ways that you never would have dreamed of before. Mm -hmm. What were some of the kind of some of the most successful strategies you've had ministering to people in this like kind of this post-Christian culture? I know that we've been kind of talking about it, but is there any, any other things that you were just like, oh, that one? The only thing that I can really particularly think is just being open to give people time, mm. give them time to process, <laughs> yeah. give them time on their time frame. So as Americans, we tend to be quite driven and it's got to fit my schedule and we need to, I have found that in Ireland, I really need to sit back when it works with the person to me and I need to be there and I need to be available, not on my phone on the side, not checking my watch because I need to go. You know, but it's very intentional of just being there for the person to listen, to talk, and to just be there, be in a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. It's a very cliche answer, but I we were just meeting up with um, Bob and Lisa from Sherwood this morning, and we were talking uh -huh. about a church that I did a mission when I was living up in Newburgh a year or two ago, <laughs> uh, back in the... 2000s and there was a mission conference and the gentleman was how you're going to reach every one of your neighbors for Jesus and there's one foolproof way that you're going to meet all of your neighbor lead all of your neighbors to Jesus and I was like I want to hear what he has to say about this he starts out with a thousand cups of coffee the thing the strategy the one thing that we have seen it goes exactly along with Trish it's letting people move in their faith journey at their pace, not driven by my results oriented nature. Mm -hmm. And, and that sometimes will drive you absolutely batty mm -hmm. because you may have this intense, deep theological debate that goes to the core of some of their heart's issues and they won't bring up faith again for three months. Mm-hmm. Because they're still wrestling and they they need to come to you on their terms. And, and it's that, and my job is to be patient and allow them to process through. Three months later, we're going to go down and go, do, you know, we're going to go deeper. And then they might not hear, we still talk every day or every week, or you still have that, but it's not that, that same. 
You yeah. have to allow them to process at their time. And when you allow them to come to it in their own time, then it's deep, it's mm -hmm. rich, it's firm, it's solid, and it will continue to grow. And then you'll see that bear fruit in other people in their life. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like, I think that's something that's, that's hard is that, you know, faith isn't like a, you know, I think that there's this, the sense we want results, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But it's, it's sometimes it's, it's, but it can be a long process right now. I'm reading, um, uh, Augustine's confessions oh. and it it's, it's been really, it's been really good. And one of the things that I didn't fully appreciate was how long of a conversion process he had. Mm -hmm. So it's like, we think of Augustine and we go like, Oh, one of the, like the smartest people in our church, like in church history. Yeah. And we yeah. kind of like look up to him as like, you know, like, like one of these like great guys. But then when you like read his book, which is like, which you're like, wow, it, it took him like years <laughs> of just like traveling from all over the place, like dabbling in heresy, but like kind of what I'm talking, like he, he moved from Carthage to Rome to Milan. And he was just like, like slowly being eaten away by his doubts. Yeah. And like how, like, so he was a, a disciple of Manchi, which was kind of like a heretical group back in the third and fourth century. And, and he, he was like, yeah, but some of this stuff doesn't make sense. And he just kept like, and it took years and years and years yeah. until finally, like he, you know, got to, I think it was Milan and met St. Ambrose and yeah. And it, it, and I don't think we fully can appreciate that that can be yeah. the way we live. Like, that's just yeah. like human nature is like, sometimes yeah. like it takes a long time and, yeah. and we don't, we don't, we want results now. Right. Like we're very instant gratification culture. Yeah. Maybe that's because of like, you know, us and McDonald's here in America, but there's yeah. like this and, you know, Amazon prime where we get two day <laughs> shipping and we're just like, we want results now. Yeah, um, exactly. And that's the thing that I think we sometimes have to fight is that that's the really good looking thing to Americans. Like you see the results, you see the numbers, you see all this stuff happening and that's great. And that's amazing. And we get all excited about that, which is great. But so is that time where you allow years for somebody to develop exactly what you were saying, like on a very deep level in the way that they're most comfortable. And that's very much fighting part of my American culture that I grew up with and going, no, I need to allow these people to progress at their pace. Mm -hmm. Oh, I was going to say, it's also sometimes very frustrating because you know the answer to their heart struggle. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You know the answer if they would, if that, you know, but they're not there yet. And that's, so that's part of the the struggle of just being still and allowing God to be God and us to be his workmen. And just kind of reflect that same kind of grace that God has for all of us. Right. Yes. Cause like, isn't like, like we're all in a state of conversion. Yes. E even, even like myself that there's like things that God's working in my heart. That's like, yeah that needs to be converted to Jesus, even though it might take, you know, decades. And, yeah. 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 And so it's like, you know, if we're all in this process, then, um, like having that same sort of grace that God gives us to right. walk through though, to be long suffering 
with us can that can be that can be hard i think that's hard yeah. for like a lot of us just to just yeah, acknowledge this the fact that things just take time mm-hmm. and, yeah. and we don't and we can't control we can't control that right right mm-hmm. so what are I, I as we're kind of wrapping up our interview um i have two i have like one just kind of questions like what what sort of needs do you have because i know you're back in the states kind mm-hmm. of coming and sharing about some of your needs that you have and um, so how can how can we support you in your ministry? The the biggest one of the biggest ones is prayer. Uh, what, every time we come back, we share the same question that gets asked every time, and it's one that you even asked earlier. You know why Ireland? Mm-hmm. And you know, and so sometimes this idea of how what a struggle it is, what a what a ministry opportunity it is. So that's the biggest is for those prayers to keep going, uh, to pray for the Irish people, to pray that they will just grab a hold of the the hope and the love and the joy and the salvation that's found in Jesus to help remove all of the stigma that came from that guilt and shame and the to break free from the shackles of a church that is broken and grab a hold of Jesus. So prayer is the biggest one. And the other that goes alongside is financial support to keep us there. That's mm-hmm. every year on deputation, we come home and we get back up to being fully funded so that we're ready to serve in our next term. And so those are the two main areas is pray for us and our Irish people, Irish friends, and for the funding that needs to come in. And how would people give? Go to the EFM, Evangelical Friends Mission website. Find David and Patricia Howell and click. There is okay. a prayer sign up. There's a, a donor, or you can um, give me a, you know, you can email me and I can send you the information as well. Uh, so you can, it's David H at friendsmission.com. And so you can send it to that and I will get you any information that you would like. Awesome. Now I have, uh, now we've kind of like talked, I have a speed round of questions. Okay. So you <laughs> okay. can't think about too hard about these things, but you have okay. to, you have to answer quickly. These are a little, uh, sillier than, um, mm-hmm. I'm ready. so, uh, what is one person from Christian history that you would like to go out for coffee or a meal with that isn't found in the Bible? Rich Mullins. I'm going to pass. No one's coming to mind. Oh, oh, come on. No, I'm going to press you on this and you have oh, to pick. No. Um, you're you're like me, I guess. You probably ha- you hate favorite questions because I'll, I'll have a great answer in about ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you have yeah, to decide, Joni. Uh, no. Okay. Okay. Oh. Literally nothing. Literally nothing. You can't think of a single soul, <laughs> not a single saint, and all of- Mac. Oh. <laughs> Okay. I have prayed for him for years. I appreciate his music. Uh, yeah, our son in high school in Ireland, very controversial. Everyone was doing Green Day. Jonathan chose him. So yeah, Toby Mac, I'd love to spend time with him and his family. Okay. Woo. So I mean, hey, they didn't have to be. Round. They didn't okay, have to be dead. Round. So here we go. Uh, what is the what? What is your favorite thing that you have either read or seen lately? So like movie or book or I just watched or... the movie Palms last night and it's about a group of elderly women and they were defending a young teen girl and I loved that. <laughs> ah, 
For me, I was we were at Sabbath by the Sea, and I was reading Brennan Manning's Solid uh, Souvenirs of Solitude, and dude speaks from my heart every time I read him. Okay, okay. PC or Mac? Mac. Uh, I'd love to say I'd like to burn them both. <laughs> there we go. Okay, cats or dogs? Dogs. Oh, cats only recently. Only recently. Yeah. My, okay. Our in-laws have a cat, and I love their cat. <laughs> Now, um, with uh, Ireland, are they a, a very dog-friendly culture? Yes. Okay. because Although they do sometimes put them in the boot of the car, and that freaks me out because the car goes by and you hear this muffled whoop, whoop, whoop in the back. They put yeah. them in the boot? Like yeah. they, put them in, they put them in their trunks? Trunk. Trunk. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 can, I can translate. I have, <laughs> I have, I watch so much British television. <laughs> And I have and I have friends who who live in Scotland and in England, so it's like I'm, right. I'm used to having to translate. But perfect. Keep them in their trunks. Yeah, only like, there's drive... only some. That's not normal. Not but... all, but like they'll drive them to the coast to go let them run around or whatever. So it really is ultimately dog friendly, but that part kind of freaks me out in between. I've not <laughs> seen a lot of that. You hear it? Okay. I, yeah. <laughs> the muffled. Okay. <laughs> um. What is one thing from a U.S. grocery store that you miss? Mint chocolate chip ice cream, Republic of Ireland. By the way, Ireland, just to clarify, not England, Ireland. Oh, did I say England? Yes, yeah. I meant I meant Ireland, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Root beer. Root beer and mint chocolate chip ice cream. I knew it was Ireland, but yeah. yeah. It's all right, we forgive you. <laughs> that, you know, that's kind of a very important distinction that we I, hear I, often, you know, that's, you know. I know it's important because I, yeah, I, I just said England before because I had friends. So yeah, I think that's where my mind got like, yeah. Boop, boop. No, um, with root beer, <laughs> root beer. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's, I guess that's, that's all I have. It was just, okay. I, I was, I always find that when you kind of like, or, or what's okay. What is the strangest uh, potato chip flavor that you see over there? Prawn cocktail. I don't know. If Wait, they have what? That. Prawn cocktail? cocktail? Oh, that is, that's unique. Uh-huh. <laughs> One of the beautiful things about my wife since we moved to Ireland is she'll come home with these things from the closeout aisle and go, this looks horrible. We must try it. So there has been some, some different types of chips that she's brought home that, ooh, not good. All food. Yeah. All, weird. I mean, I mean, there's, I mean, there's also probably things that you love there that you could not get here. Yes. A good Irish fry breakfast with black and white pudding, which would be blood pudding and white pudding and. Which are sausages for people who don't know. Yes. <laughs> yes. They're sausages that have coagulated pig blood in them that has just a phenomenal taste to it. And for me, it's a bag of chips, chips being the French fries, usually kind of yeah. chunky style with vinegar on it and there's just ah. a smell and a taste that's fantastic you walk by a chipper and you suddenly just get weak in the knees and <laughs> <laughs> it's like homer simpson and donuts <laughs> and yeah oh and and since you've lived there for quite some time because it's mm -hmm. been since i mean what would be you left 2008 you... is when we arrived on the field so that's like what like 15 years yeah, yeah. i mean roughly yeah um, i don't know if that i'm bad at mental math yeah. You did great. Uh, but like, have you had time to like, explore the island? And what would you say is like one of your like favorite like places you visited? 
uh, I just kind of chuckled because we had some friends that came and visited early. And so we got a little pass. So I used to take the kids all over the country and they would be like, mom, come on. But then they'd go to school and they'd be like, oh, we've seen that in the history book, but we've also visited there. Um, do you have a favorite? Surprisingly, the lighthouses in Wicklow town where we were based, where we lived, uh, is one of my favorite places. It's just walking on that coast. I think the Cliffs of Moher is breathtaking. I mean, the beauty of the countryside, literally you could go anywhere in the country and just be in awe of the mm. beauty. Mm -hmm. um, but I I love our little area of the wood. I think it's just phenomenal. But For me, there's a little place called Care Castle, spelled uh, C-A-H-I-R. Yeah. So it looks like Caher, <laughs> but Care Castle. And I love that. I just think that's a really cool place. Well, that was, it's been nice to to hear from you and we, I won't keep, keep you for any much longer because it's, we've been going for quite some time, but thank you for coming in and, and sharing about what's been going on with uh, your ministry and your successes and the challenges and, and why Ireland? Because I know that that's, mm -hmm. I think that's like, that's a, just a big question, I think for a lot yeah, of people yeah. and. Well, thanks and, so much for having us. It was lovely to meet you. Yeah, I've been really hoping to get some more of our like missionaries like cool. on the podcast to kind of get kind of get a different perspective because it's yeah. like, you know, when you live in a like a little tiny part of the, the country. And so it's whenever I can get people who are like, you know, from different places, I'm always like, yes. That's so cool. it's been <laughs> it's been a pleasure and we will uh, hopefully stay in touch and maybe you can come back another time. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds brilliant, Austin. Okay. Well, uh, I will sign us off. If you, if you have enjoyed this, this, uh, this content, please uh, like, and subscribe so we can get a good, um, review and kind of get it up, up there and, um, kind of up and boost the algorithm and, uh, yeah. And thank you. And we'll see you, uh, next month. Once again, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with others please rate and review the podcast so others can find it. Contact the Office of Northwest Yearly Meeting if you would like to be...